welcome to Movements, a podcast all about volunteer service, civic engagement, and all of the other ways you can become involved in your community. I'm your host, Cindy Blakeney, and I'm the Director of Logistics for MOVE, and today marks the first day of National Hunger and Homelessness Awareness Week. So in honor of it, we're going to be speaking with organizations working to solve those issues in the Atlanta area. And today is the first part of this series where we're discussing homelessness. Join Sarah and I as we speak with Beck Cranford, Gateway Center's Director of Community Engagement, who's going to talk to us about what homelessness is, some of the common misconceptions about people experiencing homelessness, and what ways that the Gateway Center are serving the community to help combat this issue. This was a really interesting interview, so I hope all of you enjoy this week's episode of Movements. Okay, well, on that note, I guess you can. <laughs> like, how do you, yeah, how do you exactly. move on? To that? I don't know. It's a great introductory story, but we can go ahead and get started then. So, just welcome to the podcast. We are super excited to have you on today and talk about your organization and all of its lovely, lovely work. But uh, for those who may not know you, could you give an introduction to yourself and your role within your organization? Yeah, for sure. So, my name is Beck Cranford, and I am the Director of Community Engagement at the Gateway Center. And the role, um, as all of our friends in nonprofit world may or may not know, um, is that we we work to plug in community with our guests who are experiencing homelessness, as well as to plug our guests who are experiencing homelessness into community and to provide uh, ways in which we help one another and work uh, towards uh, um, justice and dignity um, around homelessness with a, an approach that's different from charity, but more like solidarity. So that's a little bit of my work here. And that doesn't include all the cool hats that I wear. I also get to wear the um, in-kind donation uh, hat, as well as answering our website hat and onboarding our interns hat and all those cool hats. So that's a little bit of my job. Um, also volunteer services falls underneath uh, my job as well. That's amazing. You, you seem to do a lot and your organization definitely goes beyond just serving as a shelter for people experiencing homelessness. So I was wondering if you can go into detail about some other programs or services that you provide for um, your clients and why they're necessary. Yeah, for sure. So why is Gateway important? So the Gateway Center is a doorway or gateway to homeless services. So we consider ourselves a homeless service agency. We don't really like the name shelter because of the connotation and sort of the mental image that um, comes up when we say shelter, right? Like I said shelter, all of us just kind of imagine this like dingy cave with, you know, row after row after row of beds and um, people coughing and um, just coming in for the night and then being kicked out in the morning. And that's not who we are. What we are is a homeless service agency. So from the time someone comes into the front door in crisis, or if they're, um, let's say they're chronically homeless and not necessarily looking for shelter, but maybe they're looking for other services. So like a shower or um, to talk to someone, um, things of that nature. That's sort of what we do. As for programs, we're, we're a fairly big uh, organization in the city of Atlanta. So we have on-site over 14 different programs. Some of those include Housing First, which is, um, which is one answer to homelessness 
um, that we as a nation have kind of come up with like a theory to that. So housing first is a model in which we move people quickly into housing and then follow with those wraparound social services. So instead of um, social services first, then housing, it's that quick model of that. Uh, we do that through our housing assessors, which we have on site. Um, we also have virtual assessors that are able to do phone assessments with those who can't make it here. And they go through a housing queue, and that's anyone who's experiencing homelessness. Let me back up just a little bit and just say, like, homelessness, there's three types of homelessness. So there's episodic homelessness, there's chronic homelessness, and then there's um, this uh, one-time homelessness, sort of like emergency homelessness. So emergency homelessness can basically happen to any of us, right? So a fire, a natural disaster, uh, a storm come through. And then there's chronic homelessness, which is defined by HUD or uh, housing and urban development as someone who is living in a place not meant for human habitation more than six months at a time. Um, that definition has also grown to include like couch surfing or doubling up, right? Like living with an auntie or grandmother. And then, um, when we talk about episodic homelessness, that generally happens to um, those that have been involved in some sort of forms of discrimination and also maybe a lack of. So it's, it's, it's deeply interwoven into some of the justice issues that um, we specifically in Atlanta have. So whether it's discrimination in housing and housing fair practices, if it's uh, a lack of equity and access to medicine or transportation or financial literacy, um, job trainings, things of that nature. And it seems to be, uh, there seems to be an intersectional issue with like racism, ableism and classism that often plays into episodic homelessness. And these individuals will spend episodes of homelessness. So they may be fine for a while, but then, um, you know, they've lost a job, they're evicted from an apartment, um, they experience homelessness, and they may be, you know, staying in their car, um, maybe staying with a, a friend, um, going, bouncing from house to house situation. So that episodic homelessness is really the face of homelessness across the nation in America. Mm -hmm. But what we tend to see and what we tend to think about when we think of homelessness is chronic homelessness. And that's the, you know, the person that we see outside that's maybe holding a cardboard sign, maybe has on several layers of clothing, um, um, you know, looks like they, they have some dehydration going on, some sun damage, things of that nature. Oh, let's talk more about programs. Sorry, ADHD, uh, ADHD there, guys. Um, I had a shiny moment in my head. Um, okay, so the <laughs> programs that we also have here, we have a low barrier shelter, which is on the west side. It's kind of in that, uh, I guess you'd say, Howell Mill, Bankhead, Vine City, English Avenue kind of intersection. Um, so over that way, um, which is not too far from Georgia Tech or north side. Um, we have a low barrier shelter. It's not walk-up, so it doesn't include walk-up services for the public, but it is a facility for 100 men who are transitioning from homelessness. And when we say men, we define that as anyone who utilizes the pronouns he, his, or him. Um, so that facility is low barrier, and what we mean by that is we're not going to drug test. Um, there's not a lot of rules or regulations 
There is some increased safety measures right now during COVID-19 in kind of the pandemic, but it is very much true to being a low barrier shelter. Uh, Here at the Gateway Center in South downtown Atlanta, we have almost 400 beds in this facility. Those, again, are for men, but we do service women and children as well as uh, non-gender binary individuals. Um, with basic services and housing assessment, but shelter kind of uh, residential program services that we have here are for men. Additionally, we operate a cold weather refuge. It is, um, of course, changing and pivoting and adapting in the pandemic with social distancing and things of that nature, but we generally will have up to 35 men in the facility during a cold weather night. Um, And then previously we had up to 10 families that were staying in kind of a separate location on site for cold weather. But we have pivoted because of social distancing to bring that number down to three families so that they can stay and, you know, have space um, between the families for breathing and, sanitation and cleanliness and um, for COVID protocol. So that's a little bit about us. I didn't go into all the details. Um, Like I said, we are involved in rapid rehousing. We're also involved in helping distribute some of the CARES Act funding to specifically persons who are in the city of Atlanta incorporated and have faced financial difficulty in the midst of COVID-19. So whether, you know, maybe they were in the hospitality world and they lost employment during the um, stay-at-home measure or, you know, their job downsized and, you know, they're facing possible eviction when the eviction moratorium is lifted. We have funds up to $3,000 per family to be able to assist person and provide documentation Um, around that. So that's a little bit about what we do. We also have uh, an outreach team that goes out to the highways and the byways and under the bridges and builds um, relationship and rapport with people who are experiencing homelessness. And uh, we have a really big push right now, pre-cold weather, to go out and build relationship and really just to talk to people about options, options of shelter and transitional housing, as well as, you know, some people who are chronically homeless may have um, conditions that would uh, provide them um, with some permanent housing solutions. So, yeah, so we're doing all that. And and also we're, I like to think of us as sort of a champion for advocacy and activism in the city. So we really do a lot around, justice talks around fair housing and homelessness and just all the intersectional issues that go into homelessness in Atlanta. So that's us. And uh, I don't know how concise that was, but that was, that's it. (laughs) No, that's amazing. And you you all do so much incredible work. It's, it's really just an honor to have you on here today. Uh, One thing I did notice is kind of like a a common theme that drives your services together is uh, on your website, it lists the five keys to success as being like the central goals that you're working toward to um, help people experiencing homelessness. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about that as well. Yeah, for sure. So um, our five keys of success really are kind of like what we do um, and sort of, sort of a little bit of how we do it. So one of those is housing stability and placement. So part of that is 
working with those who are experiencing or transitioning from homelessness to be able to get them through a coordinated uh, entry system in which we check and see if they're eligible for any um, government-based um, housing options and really work with them to try to find fair housing, um, affordable housing, and things of that nature. So, um, and we work with every person on that. So anyone who comes into our service facility, our goal is for them uh, is to find housing and what that might look like for them. And that, you know, that could be different. That could be some alternative forms of housing, like something like pad split, where they go in um, uh, and with young professionals or perhaps even students and kind of do a, a cool housing thing. That could also be um, going to a transitional facility. Perhaps the individual has um, uh, maybe hearing loss and could work well with an organization that, um, you know, that works specifically with that group of persons. Or if um, the individual, you know, has HIV AIDS and they might be eligible for housing funds for persons with AIDS. So there's a lot that we do there around um, really working to try to find solutions for housing and housing placement. One of the other um, five keys for um, success that we have here at the Gateway Sitter is um, family and community engagement. And that's really, that is involving um, our community who is experiencing and transitioning from homelessness in connection with community. So that's helping them find um, a place and a people group to belong to, as well as really plugging in our corporate partners, our scholastic and educational partners, our community partners and faith-based partners with volunteer opportunities to have a community engagement. Oftentimes when we think of homelessness, we think of homelessness as a lack of housing. But what it's really been, uh, when we kind of go back and look at that, is it's sort of a lack of network or a lack of um, safety net or community. So we really try to push opportunities for um, our friends who are transitioning from homelessness to get plugged in back into society, whether that's um, service, uh, maybe they're interested in like food sustainability or um agrarianism right and getting them you know plugged in with truly living well gardens or maybe it's working um with habitat and building homes or maybe it's um helping volunteer around the um national center for uh, uh for human rights and uh civil rights so we really um offer up a lot of opportunities for our guests to stay engaged with the community and to build uh, rapport and to find connections. And then uh, we offer, you know, opportunities for volunteers to come in and to build community here and rapport as well with our guests as well as with our staff. So those are, that's one of the keys of success that we have. Um, additionally, so we have three more amazing keys to talk about. Um, stay with me. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> one of those uh, keys to success that we have is health and well-being. So we work with a lot of different partner agencies to make this happen. 
one of those, um, some of those partner agencies on site uh, involve Mercy Care. So Mercy Care has a clinic here that has uh, behavioral health, primary health, and dental health that is available for those um, that are experiencing homelessness. We have our own behavioral health team on site, and then we have some partnerships with agencies that provide a hospital to home um, kind of recuperative care situations and programs in which uh, people can flourish and learn healthy living skills. Um, some of those other partnerships include working with Emory School of Nursing, and we have students who do practicums. Of course, during COVID-19, everything is kind of virtual right now, so they're doing virtual, like, healthy um, living courses, as well as um, classes on like smoking cessation, um, and then talking about sort of the big killers and um, in the life of those who are experiencing homelessness. So we, so we talk a lot about healthy eating um, and diabetes. Uh, we talk a lot about stress reduction, um, lowering uh, your blood pressure, things of that nature. So health and wellness is one of those other keys to success. Um, are you guys bored yet? Are you, are you getting excited? You ready to hear the no, next piece? This is, this is great. Okay. Yeah, this is really All right. All right. Drum roll, please. Da, 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 da. We're getting to number four. <laughs> Here we go, everybody. <laughs> so exciting. Okay. So job skills, training, and placement. So through our community, excuse me, our career resource center, we provide a lot of different partnerships. We work with groups who, um, and corporate partners to be able to find um, job placements for men our, uh, and for our guests. Our goal around that is really a living wage job. So um, we just teach soft skills through our Career Resource Center as well as computer literacy, professional skill building. We work on some basic um, computer trainings um, and then we really get back into that community engagement with a lot of our corporate partners to have resume trainings on site and then we have a couple partnerships. One of those is with WorkSource um, Atlanta, in which we have training programs that we offer uh, through the Gateway Center. One of our big programs is Caroline's Kitchen, where um, men and women who are transitioning from homelessness can come in and uh, get a serve safe certification. They can learn a lot of different cooking techniques. And then we go out uh, into the community and bring in stakeholders from the hospitality realm, um, different chefs, uh, and, you know, kind of show off their skills. Because here in Atlanta, you know, if you go to work for one of these uh, really cool uh, uh, restaurants, you can make a decent living wage. So that's one of our goals, uh, one of our kind of programs in that job skills training and placement key. And then the other, uh, some of the other programs we have here is we have a basic uh, maintenance program. So that includes like plumbing, a little bit of HVAC, um, or air conditioning, uh, a little bit of basic carpentry and basic uh, electricity in which we do all the trainings on site. They go through a certification process and then they can apply for jobs, um, entry level jobs, whether it's kind of maintenance or facilities maintenance or um, entry level jobs in different places. So we're also always looking for partnerships with corporations to be able to find once we have those who've worked through these certifications and sort of this professional development to be able to place them into living wage jobs. Um, and I know I'm skipping some, oh, we have customer service um, as well as security. So security trainings, they go through 
um, sort of like safety as well as like emergency trainings. Um, they also go through like de-escalation and how to deal with situations when someone has, you know, become upset. Um, learn a lot about nonviolent secure, uh, nonviolent communication in that security training. So just a lot of really cool stuff that goes into that. And then our last key to success is our financial uh, literacy component, kind of our literacy overall component, which we work with um, a number of organizations um, and corporations to be able to provide some ongoing training for individuals on like savings, um, how to invest in the stock market, uh, proper budgeting, things of that nature, as well as other forms of literacy, whether it's, um, you know, moving forward. So when we talk about homelessness, we may have people who have PhD level educations, and then we may have someone who has you know, a fifth grade level reading, just depending on whatever situation they come in from. So we want to make sure that everyone leaves here with the abilities and the tools that they need to succeed um, in their individual service plan and the life that they have. And um, so that's a little bit about our five keys to success. Um, I know that was really exciting and you guys are all like, wow, that's awesome. Yeah, we do awesome work. I'm, I'm pretty proud of us. You should be proud, Beck. That's, it's extensive for a reason, right? Like, I think the, and, and uh, there's a question that will <laughs> end this train of thought, but I think often we boil the social issue of homelessness down to like an assumed set of experiences that someone's holding, right? And I think this, this overview that you've given really helps us to understand that there's like, there's so much that's going into someone's experience when they might be um, working through homelessness, experiencing homelessness, uh, working to transition out of homelessness. And so I'm, I'm amped that you have shared all of that. I think that's really important information for people who are listening to have. Well, thanks so much. I think we have yeah. stereotypes in, uh, in our world and um, mm. I, I hope that we can de dismantle those and mm -hmm. um, provide just, you know, just a more open, non-judgmental world. So, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and that, and it segues into a, something I would love to hear from you about, which is what are some of those common misconceptions that you hear or help people work through when it comes to homelessness and working with individuals who are working through homelessness? Yeah. So I think one of the major common misconceptions is that everyone who is experiencing homelessness is either a drug addict or has a mental health crisis, and that's just not true. I mean, there there is a higher propensity for, for mental health-related issues, um, and as you can imagine, experiencing homelessness can exasperate those, um, and that's a separate issue. We could have a, a their breakout session, and I'm definitely not the one to talk about, like, mental health disparities and mental health justice in our world. But that's a, that's a whole nother issue in itself. And then this idea that everyone that you see on the street is somehow an addict. Um, again, I don't think that's necessarily the causation of homelessness. It could be, and, and it has been in some people's stories, but oftentimes it's kind of a coping mechanism that people pick up quickly once they are experiencing homelessness, kind of a, an escapism, if you will. Uh, I think some of the things that we don't seem to think about or point out often is a lot of the justice issues that do run into homelessness. And then, of course, there's choice. There's 
people who choose to live, um, you know, off the grid or um, as transient or um, urban campers. And there are certain people who do choose that. Um, but we also have to think about incarceration and what that looks like. And um, we know with the civil unrest that our nation's been going through for not just for this year, I mean, for year for 400 years, I mean, we know now and anybody who's been paying attention knows that we've got some issues that we need to work through. And so I think we need to, when we think about homelessness, we need to think about how incarceration impacts housing and discrimination in housing. Also, another thing we need to think about is youth and youth runaways and the percentage of youth who are experiencing abuse at home, whether that's um, domestic abuse or verbal abuse or, or sexual abuse or even some sort of I ideological abuse, right? So, you know, you need to obey my rules or you don't fit in this household. And what happens when you come from a household that has a different viewpoint on your sexuality or how you want to live your life and, and where you go? What we do find out is that a lot of youth, over 60% of the youth who are experiencing homelessness in America happen to be lesbian, gay, bi, trans, um, intersex, other, you know, all the, the acronym, the alphabet kind of goes on. But a lot of these um, youth runaways who are experiencing homelessness have left because of their family not wanting them. And uh, the real picture that we need to think about when we think about youth homelessness is safety on the streets. Um, there's, a, there's a quick uh, and a very short window. I forgot what the statistic is. Um, I think it may be 48 hours. It could be less than that. Before being on the streets, they'll be approached by a predator. And this is someone who might be involved in, in trafficking. And, you know, survivor sex, and, and sometimes when we think of sex work, we think, oh, yeah, like, they're a prostitute, and that's cool, and they want to do that, and that gives them a lot of, like, they're really excited to be doing that, and they feel good about it. That's not often the case. Sometimes people are put in a position um, where they have to do things that they wouldn't normally do in order to survive. So am I going to turn a trick? That way I'll have money to be able to eat and possibly for afford a hotel tonight to stay safely where no one will come up in the middle of the night and hurt me. So, I mean, that's another story of homelessness that we don't think about often. Or veteran homelessness. It's not something that we discuss a lot in society. And the face of homelessness of women and children. I mean, it seems like we don't see that as often. Perhaps that's because, you know, they are couch surfing. They're staying in their car. They're trying to stay in one place as long as the students are in school. So a truancy officer won't be involved and defects won't find out about the situation and the children won't be displaced from the parent. So, I mean, those are all different sort of issues that we have to think about when we think about homelessness. And I mean, every story is completely different as well. Like just, you would be amazed at the diversity of stories that you hear um, from all different people. Thank you for sharing all of that. I think it helps us to, well, it reminds us that, yeah, perhaps the simplified view that we've held or hold or see is not the full story. Um, an important lesson. And I think here in Atlanta, it's, it's not uncommon to see someone who's experiencing homelessness or interact, whether you realize it or not. Um, we recently had uh, someone on the podcast who works with um, services that support students who might be experiencing some level of homelessness or or other issues like food insecurity and it, it's not 
uncommon at all. I'm curious, I know why well, I imagine at least COVID-19 has impacted um, just rates of homelessness in general in Atlanta and throughout our country. Um, and I think there's a perception perhaps of what homelessness is in Atlanta. And I'm wondering just like what level of need for gateway services have existed prior to 2020, like whether that's numbers or whether that's whatever, like, can you paint some picture for us of what the extent of need is within our city? Yeah. So, um, so I will say like in the beginning of 2002, when gateway was sort of, uh, conceived, uh, in the mind of mayor Shirley Franklin and her Enrico, the regional commission on homelessness and Jack Carden in this uh, faith-based think tank that they were involved in uh, at that time, the uh, point in time count revealed that there were over 7,200 persons who were experiencing chronic homelessness in the city of Atlanta. So they were outside, um, they were on our streets. Uh, we saw a major reduction over the years um, in that, um, in that kind of grouping of people. And then in the past two years, we saw a subtle increase. So I think this year's numbers, and don't quote me, but I think around 3,400. Um, that information can be found um, at the National Alliance to End Homelessness. You can look at the state of homelessness in the U.S. and you can click on Georgia, specifically Atlanta. You can also visit partnersforhome.org, which will have the latest numbers. But we have seen a slow increase. Um, I don't think we've seen the totality of COVID-19 and what it's done or what it's doing. I mean, there's a coming storm, um, if we think about it. And I don't mean to sound like doomsday, because I, I, I definitely believe that there's good. Um, in a, and, you know, a lot of people who are concerned and compassionate and care about justice in our world. But when this eviction moratorium ends in December 31st, and we jump into January 1st, 2021, I mean, there's a lot of landlords who are going to be going to court and not and not to paint a picture that they're, you know, some sort of malevolent beings. I mean, these landlords, obviously, that's part of their income as well. So they've been hit by COVID-19. So we may see uh, we may see a lot of people evicted, specifically in um, some of the states that have remained shut down for a long time and their workforce has not been able to return to work. Um, that's what I'm afraid of, uh, because I think there will be a lot more um, women and women and children and families on the streets, uh, and that worries me. Um, I'm concerned about that, and how do we move forward with it? And, you know, Atlanta is a, a, a cool place, and it's hip, and I love fusion tacos and arts and, you know, tattooed people, because I'm a tattooed, artsy, fusion-eating taco <laughs> person myself. But at the end of the day, like gentrification, <laughs> like it has an underbelly that we might often not discuss. And we have a real big problem of affordable housing in Atlanta. And if we keep pushing people further and further away from the town center of Atlanta, away from transportation options, away from job options, further and further out into the suburbs, I mean, what is the support system there? So we need to think about how we can move forward with affordable housing options in the city of Atlanta. So as we're building all these hip, new, cool places, 
we need to think about how we can be a community that's really invested in staying together and working in solidarity and making sure that we don't segregate or ghettoize persons who are on the margins. And that includes not only our friends who are, you know, experiencing um, homelessness, but that includes our elderly that are on fixed incomes, as well as those that have um, disabilities. So how can we do that? I just wanted to pause momentarily and discuss those statistics that Beck mentioned a little bit earlier. But according to the National Alliance to End Homelessness across the United States, in 2019, in a single night in January of 2019, 17 out of every 10,000 people in the United States were experiencing homelessness. And as Beth mentioned, the full extent of homelessness across this country isn't known yet because of the devastating effects of the pandemic. But that baseline number from 2019 was 567,715 people, with states with the highest rates of homelessness being California with 151,000 and New York with 92,000 people experiencing it. And as mentioned before, the state of homelessness in Atlanta was roughly around 3,200, and across the state of Georgia, it was 10,443. Seeing as this issue of homelessness was widespread across the country before the pandemic, many organizations like Gateway Center had to make drastic changes in order to serve this population during this time. And Beck is going to shed some light on this and tell us even more ways to assist the fight to end homelessness within our communities and hopefully across this nation. You mentioned a little bit how Gateway has made adjustments to kind of serving a broader community, like in a time where you have social distancing, wearing masks, you know, keeping people six feet apart. But I'm curious, are there any new initiatives or programs that you're preparing for the future or currently? Yeah, so um, I do want to quickly point out that we have had a tremendous response from the community, just an outcry of care and support. And a lot of people have been supporting of shipping some underwear from Amazon or, um, you know, having a collection drive of deodorant and being able to bring it to the facility. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. Um, some of the things that we've done to kind of adapt and pivot is at first when it hit, we removed all of our um, partner programs that were uh, like our Emory School of Nursing or Back on My Feet. Some of those programs, we just stopped them from coming. And then we stopped group volunteers until we were able to kind of get a handle and measure. Uh, we began doing uh, temperature readings at the door and requiring that everyone wore masks. We uh, had sanitation processes set up where we went through and we not only did we fog, but we made sure everybody was cleaning their area. And we were able to pivot so that every staff member could have a one work from uh, home day. I mean, because, you know, we, we still had to be here to provide services to those who are experiencing homelessness. But we never once closed. So we didn't stop offering showers to men or to women. And we didn't stop offering emergency clothing or hygiene kits. And we never stopped offering housing assessments or case management. I mean, we just had to we make changes to keep our staff uh, safe and keep our community members who were experiencing homelessness safe and to keep all of our community safe. Um, eventually, July 1st, we basically reintegrated individual service opportunities for volunteers that were 
you know, regular volunteers who were coming like weekly or monthly to come on site to be able to help out. And we have slowly, um, and according to CDC protocol, uh, allow groups to come back on site and to do some group opportunities still while, you know, wearing masks and uh, maintaining six feet of distance. And I mean, it's been a little different, you know, because you can't really sit down across the table with someone who's experiencing homelessness during COVID and listen to their story and share and, um, you know, kind of walk that walk of solidarity. So it looks, it looks a little bit more, a lot more boundaries and a lot more safety measures and tag. But at, at the end of the day, we still care about every person's dignity and worth. And um, we're going to follow uh, the protocols that are listed by the CDC and just move towards safety. You know, a lot of places were like, oh, well, you know, why did you uh, stop volunteers? If we had a volunteer who came in that had COVID, I mean, it could easily spread. And because our facility is a residential facility, we had to be careful. Just like, uh, you know, as we watched, all of us watched the news cycle at the beginning of this, we saw how nursing homes and, um, you know, those sort of congregant um, places just experience so much devastation because of how, you know, how the COVID-19 just ravaged through there. So we were very careful. I do have some good news, though. We we did a lot of testing. We partnered with Fulton County. We partnered with the CDC. We partnered with Mercy Care, and we did over 5,000 uh, tests. And in the process uh, throughout the community, we had less than 1.5% of everyone who was tested to be positive for COVID. And we were able to partner together and work with hotels in the area to secure uh, a safe environment for those who were highly at risk for COVID that were on the streets. Uh, we banded together to do a lot of outreach. There was a collaborative effort to make sure that no one would experience hunger uh, just, you know, just because a church had to close down their breakfast um, line or, you know, the synagogue had to close down its services. We were able to work together and band together and, you know, the real height of COVID-19 and make sure that um, no one was going to go out without food and that there were, would be services available. So uh, it was really a beautiful experience to watch how everyone just kind of set aside their own agenda or their own, you know, differences and just said, hey, yeah, let's, let's work together and make this happen. So I'm proud of Atlanta. I mean, we've got our we got our junk and our, you know, our ghosts and our skeletons in the closet and, and a lot of issues we need to move forward on. But I'm still really proud of us because, uh, you know, when this hit, I just saw so many people rise up and uh, walk forward with love. Yeah, I think in, in so many spaces, I've seen that this, you know, we hear so much about we're adapting and we're pivoting, but it's it's the truth. I think so many spaces have been able to say, well, even in our own organizations on campus, right? It's like, okay, what are, what is our purpose? What is our why? What, what are we doing here? And how do we still do it in the way that makes sense right now? And in a way where we're not sort of sacrificing our ability to make an impact, whatever level of impact that is. So I'm glad that Gateway has seen that partnership and been able to kind of make that work for everyone who's uh, using the resources. I was just going to say thank you. And I know I am uh, verbiose and narcissistic and sounding and just keep chatting on and on and on. <laughs> I know you'll have a Not time at all. Not at all. Um, but no. I definitely uh, 
we definitely at the Gateway Center, we care deeply about homelessness. So whatever ways that we can be collaborative in the city of Atlanta, um, you know, ultimately my goal is to work myself out of a job. And I would love to wake up one day in a society that is so just that we have placements and housing for everyone. And I don't have to go to work because we don't have homelessness as an issue in our city. What's like a, you know, I know you've spoken around some of the issues that are connected to that, but to reach that goal, where do you feel like we have to start? So I, you've probably heard that whole river of justice kind of um, uh, symbolism. And I definitely, you know, we're down river pulling bodies out and trying to help them uh, in crisis. But I think it's going to take your generation and the generation of students who are there today and working together, but really to go upriver and say, okay, what are these systems that are unjust? Why are there cracks? Why are people falling through? And to see how we can work together as a society. And, you know, maybe that's some policy changes and maybe it's also just a lot of elevation of conversation in our communities. And instead of, you know, I came from uh, West Georgia and I grew up with a lot of taxidermy and camouflage and King James version of the Bible. So, I, I mean, there was some implicit bias in there that I learned, but how do we overcome that? And I think it's, you know, elevating conversations, meeting people that are different from us and talking about real issues and, and just trying to move forward as a compassionate people. Yeah, really important. You're right. I think we often try to band-aid the situations, whatever the, the issue might be, right? Like it's it's not enough to just fix right now, but it's to think about like what's what's causing this in the first place and how do we create a fix for those larger issues that are affecting people. Yeah, I've heard it said like charity is a great response to crisis, um, but after the crisis is over, how do we think about justice and how do we think about uh, going in and dismantling systems that are, you know, full of oppression and where people fall through the cracks and what does that look like? So I think that's the pivot that we have to make and not not only with, from a government level, but also in our community levels and our in our faith based organizations. Um, and, and I think we need to just begin to talk about that as people, as humans, like what are these issues that we face and how can we work better um, towards a more just world? Yeah, it's not the quick fix, but it's it's the more long-term fix, potentially, right? Yeah. I, I think what Beck says here is pretty important, so I just wanted to take a second to emphasize it. But those misconceptions that were discussed earlier, those false ideas about what homelessness is and, and, and about the people experiencing it, those are things that even I was familiar hearing about, which was likely caused by the perspectives that I grew up around. And I'm sure there are a lot of people who can say the same about themselves and their experiences that live all across the country. And for that reason alone, I just want to mention like the importance of having these difficult conversations with people in groups outside of the space that you grew up in. Your perspectives on certain issues can change over time. And I think it's important that they do, as we have learned from this summer, but also just in life. I, I think it's the first step to making some serious progress on this issue comes from that baseline understanding about topics and hardships that will affect people outside of yourself. You know, as Beck mentioned, the first step to making some serious change in this issue will definitely come from people changing that perspective. So yeah, 
I'll get off my soapbox for a second, but I just want to emphasize that it doesn't really matter where you come from. You're always going to have biases, but it's important to learn and change and grow. Hey, Sarah here. I'm reflecting on this part of our conversation with Beck, and I'm so grateful for the way that she spoke about this work to be done and that it's not in large-scale ways necessarily, but that things like conversation and relationship building and learning more on our own are also key parts of making change. There are these small daily actions or behaviors that we can build into our own routines that help us step outside of our own experiences or perceptions or understanding and embrace or at least start to explore what other people's experiences might be. That at its core is empathy. The ability to step outside of ourselves and understand or at least try to create some meaning and understanding of someone else's experience, even if it's something we have never been through ourselves. For me, empathy at its core is all about understanding that someone else is going to understand their own lived experience more than I could understand their own lived experience. And when we have these perceptions or stereotypes or beliefs about what someone experiencing homelessness is going through, we have to also make sure that we pause and consider what what of these assumptions or stereotypes or ideas that I hold are stemming from actually learning from someone who's working through this what's coming from the media, what's coming from my family, from my hometown, from the resources I see or don't see, um, and maybe from true experiences that we've held too, right? All of it uh, is a part of our understanding. Um, But if we can pause and hold empathy for those who are working through something different than ourselves, then I think that is at the very least, a strong start in helping us explore ways that we might think differently um, about the support that we put forward for others around us who are experiencing homelessness or any slew of other uh, issues that are held within our world right now. So um, I will also get off of my soapbox. (laughs) I could talk about empathy all day, but I, I hope that at the very least, if maybe if nothing else is taken from this episode, that we can sit in this reminder that change doesn't have to be big and drastic and sudden, but it can happen through our own small everyday behaviors uh, applied to change that can happen over the course of time as well. mentioned kind of the work your organization is doing and 
that, you know, talking about this partnership really from members of the community, are there, are there things that people can be doing to support or assist in Gateway's efforts right now, whether that's as small as an item donation or as, you know, as big as more formal partnership and, and support and fundraising, whatever it might be. What are some of those ways that people who are listening might be able to tap into support for Gateway? Yeah. So I think, um, so I think there's several different things. So one of those, of course, is always, yes, gifts. Yes, we we would definitely love in-kind gifts of, you know, gently used men's clothes. And because of COVID-19, we're asking that people wash those. Um, but also going out to your networks and to those that may have capital and saying, you know, this is a worthy cause. This is an ethical organization. They are doing the work. You know, check out their 990. They're, they don't have anything to hide. And, and rallying behind us with capital and with finances. So what about for students that may not be able to donate financially because of the pandemic and maybe the situation that they're in? Well, some of Beck's audio cut out a little bit here, but it's mentioned that one of the biggest things you can do is just be a proper ally for the cause and a champion for justice when it comes to issues related to homelessness. And that first step in doing so is as mentioned here. And to, you know, check micro uh, aggressions with, with love, you know, when someone says, oh, you know, I'll, I'll need to go out and get a job, you know, let's, let's talk about that. What does it look like to get a job when you don't have an address and maybe you don't have an ID and maybe you haven't had access to hygiene? So I think every person can be a champion for just um, conversations and, you know, and we don't have to be like, you know, woke AF and, you know, Twitter bombing everybody and, you know, blasting them or shaming them or anything or throwing shade. I think we can do that um, in a way that is loving of a person wherever they are on, on kind of their own education on different justice issues. Um, so I think that's super important. And then, you know, we'd love to have students as, as they grow more comfortable and they feel safer to reach out to us and, and to check in about like potential internships or regular volunteer opportunities. Um, so those are, those are definitely different ways. And obviously they can totes like us on social media. Our Instagram is, uh, is pretty <laughs> rad. I got to say that. And uh, our Facebook's pretty cool too. So, yeah. Very cool. Thank you. I think that gives a great range of ways that people can think about connecting and supporting. Yeah, I definitely agree. Thank you just for this whole interview because it's it's very enlightening to to get more of a perspective on this really kind of diverse issue. Um, so I just really appreciate you being on today. Beth. Hey, and I'm grateful for you guys and your ongoing work uh, um, to, you know, keep the students engaged and uh, just to, I don't know, be awesome. I think you guys are doing a really great job of just uh, advocating these major issues in our society. So thanks for that. And um, I got mad love for y'all. So thanks for inviting me on today. You can find Gateway social media on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at GatewayCTR. And their website is gatewaycenter.org, where they have a lot of volunteer opportunities listed on their website, as well as a lot more information about their programs if you're interested. The website also has a section about success stories of guests that previously stayed at Gateway or are currently staying at Gateway. And to end this interview, I thought it'd be interesting to ask Beck to share one of those stories for the podcast. So here it is. So just today, just today, this is like such good news. Like I might even tear up. 
Um, we have a guest um, who has been experiencing chronic homelessness for as long as I've been at Gateway, which is almost nine years. And I've, I've known her before that when I was, you know, an intern scrubbing toll. It's a, a, the mission. And um, our friend lives outside. Um, she's chronically homeless. Uh, I really like her. I've always talked to her. Um, but she's had she's had some difficulty with just mental health and living outside and family placements. And just today, she said that she would be willing to go inside to um, one of the hotel partners that we have. So um, we will lovingly call her Apples to maintain her confidentiality. Um, But I'm so excited about Apples because she's one of those people that I think about. I think about her when it's cold. I think about her when it's raining. I wonder if she's okay at night. And for the first time, I feel like I can breathe for just a little bit and say, you know what? Apples is making um, these steps for her health, and I'm not going to have to worry if she's cold. Thank you so much for being on. That's all of the questions and topics that I think we wanted to cover today. I don't know, Sarah, if you had anything else you wanted to say. No, I think this was a great conversation. And, you know, Beck, I will say in one way or another, I think I've worked with uh, you or organizations that have partnered with you in some way for probably at least five years now. And um, beyond the volunteer experience, which always gets high regard uh, from Gateway, um, our students resonate a lot with you and the passion and the energy that you hold for this work that you do. And so we're truly grateful that you made this time today and, and know that you are having uh, just an incredible impact. It's, it shows and our students want to come back to Gateway year after year, um, certainly because in part, at least because of the energy and again, that compassion that you bring to your work. So thank you for all that you do as well. Uh, thank you, guys. I really appreciate uh, you having me on today. It's an, it's an honor. Thanks for listening to another episode of Movements, and special thanks to Gateway Center for allowing us to learn more about their organization. And of course, more information about them will be found in the description of the episode. Also below, you'll find links to some resources to learn more about the issue of homelessness and ways that you can help in your community. Keep your eye out for the second part of this series, where we'll be speaking with a representative from the Atlanta Community Food Bank to discuss the issues of hunger and food insecurity in the Atlanta area, and to shed more light on the issue overall. If you're interested in participating in a service activity this month, MOVE's Special Project Committee is helping plant trees with Trees Atlanta in Home Park on Saturday, November 21st, and you can sign up for it using the links in the description. Also, our STEM and Education Committee is looking for judges to help participate virtually in the Mock Pitch Day K-12 Adventure Prize competition in early December, and that sign-up information will also be found below, so be sure to check it out. If you're new here, be sure to subscribe on anywhere you get your podcasts for more bi-weekly episodes, and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at MoveGT, and check out some of our other episodes from weeks before. In the last one, we spoke with the director of Tech's STAR program, and in a couple ones before that, we spoke with some representatives talking about voting and also volunteering in this new virtual setting. So a lot of different content you can check out if you're interested. But other than that, that's all from us for this time. So thanks so much for listening to another episode of Movements, and I'll see you next time. 
The views expressed by guests on the Movements podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not express or may not be the views of Georgia Tech or the organization Mobilizing Opportunities Volunteer Experience.